Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Adventist ministry context. This episode features Richie Halverson, Director of Church Growth and Revitalization for the Southern Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. There, he coaches churches, pastors, and lay leaders to maximize their impact in evangelism, church planting, and revitalization. I've appreciated Richie's ministry over the years, and when we began dreaming about the Propel Conference last year, Richie was the first speaker that I called. In this episode, Richie shares his story of growing up in an evangelist's family and how God helped him overcome opioid addiction. He encourages us to take the circumstances that we're in and the weaknesses that we have and allow God to use them to grow his kingdom through his power and strength. Richie will share in just a moment. This episode is sponsored by NAD Ministerial, empowering the ministry community in leading churches to reach their world for Christ with hope and wholeness. Throughout the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists, this team works to ensure the ministerial community is valued, connected, effectively supported, and equipped with training and state-of-the-art resources. Their dream is that every Seventh-day Adventist church in North America exudes hope and wholeness with significant spiritual and numerical growth. You can reach the NED Ministerial team on their website at nedministerial.com. Okay, let's go to the presentation in this episode. Here is Richie Halverson speaking at the 2023 Propel Conference. My subject is entitled, The Darkness Will Not Overcome. Uh, And I'm going to talk a little bit, share a little bit about my story, and I'm going to share a little bit about how that relates to evangelism. And the verse that really kind of... Uh, captured me that I want us to look through in the message tonight is in Acts, the 27th chapter, uh, as Paul is getting ready to take that voyage to Rome. We come to this verse that says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And you know, if I, could, if I had to pick up one verse that really describes the past few years, it would be this verse. If I had to pick a verse that really describes uh, the way it is to do ministry and evangelism today, it would be this verse. I mean, declining churches, Christianity is on a, is on a drastic decline in the West, pandemics, problems, depression is at an all-time high, anxiety is at an all-time high, drug shortages for all kinds of uh, psychotropic drugs are shortages because more diagnosis of mental illness in the past few years than ever before, domestic abuse is up, Uh, 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 divorce is up, Uh, drug abuse is up, suicide is up. I just read an article on my way over here today in the Washington Post. We are well on our way of of reaching, beating the last year's record and, and setting a new record in mass shootings in this country. We're already over halfway have more than what we had last year. Inflation is up. 
storm after storm. And just when you think you made it through the worst of a storm, then another storm rushes in and takes the other one's place. Now, I'm not talking about physical storms. And here's the thing. If you're going to do evangelism, you got to expect the storm. Because the storm comes after those. Paul is on his way to do ministry. He's on his way to share the love and the light of Christ. And when we do that, the devil puts a target on your back. He's going to attack you with emotional storms, spiritual storms, financial storms. Man, I got a family of six, okay? I got a pretty big family. I don't got a family like Roger's family, but I got a big family. And, and let me tell you, every January is like, that's a, that's, a, that's a recovery time for me after Christmas, for my family, financial storm, spiritual storms. I'm talking about the hurricane in your health. I'm talking about the monsoon in your marriage. I'm talking about the typhoon of raising teenagers. And you know what? You would think that it gets better the older they get. Because now i got three young adults. So I've got a 25-year-old. I've got a 22-year-old. And I've got a 19-year-old. And now I, got a, I, and I have an 11-year-old. And you think it's going to get better the older they get. The storm continues raging. The storm continues raging. According to this, Acts 13, 47, Paul was called to be a light to the Gentiles, which, by the way, is all of our calling. It's a, a calling to bring the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are called to be a light to the world. We are called to be a salt of the earth. We are called to bring a light to dark places, to not hide it and just bring the light out uh, at church for one hour. We're called to go into the dark places of the world. We're called, you know, salt. Uh, it, it's a preservative. And unless it goes in, it's useless. We're called to go in. Amen. We're called to go in. And so it's Paul, as he's on his way to Rome, is it any surprise that in Acts 27, his journey is plagued with problems, pain, bad decisions, bad weather, shipwrecks, and snake bites. Welcome to ministry. Welcome to evangelism. Because you see, when you're storming the gates of hell... Hell is going to come at you with everything that it has. Now, if you're just doing status quo, and if you're just babysitting the saints, and if we're not actually invading the territory of the devil, and we're not doing anything about dying communities, and we're sitting in our churches, and we're not going after people who are going to Christless graves, if that's the kind of ministry you're doing, well, the devil isn't going to attack you a whole lot, because you see, you're not a threat. But the second you decide that, no, I'm going to step out in faith and do what God called me to do, well, the enemy is going to attack you. As Luke points out in Acts 27, the wind was against him. The wind was against us. 
You see, when you go along with the winds of the world, the enemy doesn't care. But the second you make a decision to go after Jesus and follow him into the dark places of the world, well, the wind is going to be against you. According to 2 Corinthians 11.25, Paul had already been shipwrecked three times. He knows what it's like to be shipwrecked. And, and maybe this is why Paul calls the enemy the power, the prince of the power of the air. Because he has been and experienced that wind against us. It's easy to go wherever the wind is blowing. But to follow Jesus, the wind is going to be against you. You see, friends, the storm continues raging. And it's going to continue to rage. And it's going to continue to rage until finally one day soon Jesus is going to return. And he's going to put the storm. Uh, he's going to tell the storm to shut up once and for all. And I long for that day, but God is calling us to step into some people's lives and to give them light and hope and to help settle the storm in their lives. This verse is not only a good description of doing ministry in life, it's a good description of my life uh, during a very dark period of my life. And some of you may have already heard my story before, and I want to just share, you, share a snippet of it with you so you get some context. Um, for the larger story, you can pick up my book, The Darkness Will Not Overcome, at your local Adventist book center or at Amazon.com. Shameless uh, commercial. But I want to share a little bit of my story with you. Um, when the storms kept raging, I couldn't see a light at the end of a very long, dark tunnel of opioid addiction. And you know, it didn't start out that way. I come from a family of pastors. I come from a family of evangelists. And I know what you're thinking, aha, that makes sense. But no, it was actually a very positive experience with the gospel. And I was, you know, my dad and mom, and they always cultured in me a very, you know, grace-oriented, Christ-oriented environment. They didn't just use the, the Bible as a billy club to knock me over the head with it. They, they cultivated and encouraged me to cultivate my own personal relationship with Jesus. And so I had a very good experience. And I I wanted, I, I felt that calling to be a pastor very young in ministry, and I knew that that's what God had called me to do, but, you know, uh, about halfway through academy, through high school, I started to experience uh, drift from my faith, and in church growth, we, 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 there's something called mission drift. Maybe you've heard of this. Basically, it doesn't matter what, how good you start off, if you don't make intentional daily decisions to, to, to reach that destination, you're going to experience mission drift. Churches experience mission drift. And that's why you got churches that used to be full, and now they're empty, and they're struggling with this. It's because at some point, we drifted from the mission. At some point, we miss the boat on what is our mission? What is our calling? What are we put here on the planet to do? Is it to just support? Is, do we exist for the organization? Or does the organization exist for the mission? Well, I experienced mission drift. And I started drifting from my faith. And, 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 and you know, and, and that's the thing about addiction. It doesn't care who you are or where you went to school or where you grew up. Addiction's an equal opportunity destroyer. And it just comes after you. And so, you know, high school was a blur for me. I, bear, I don't know how I graduated, but by God's grace, I graduated. 
And just six months after graduation at 18 years old, I found out my wife, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now found out we were going to have a kid. We had a baby on the way. And suddenly at 18, I'm a child getting ready to have a child. And let me tell you, reality, the storm kept raging and reality came crashing in. You know, at first it was all about having a a, a party. It was all about having a good time. But addiction eventually turned into a full-time job of desperation. And so when I found out we were gonna, I was gonna be a dad, I, I, I quit college, which I really wasn't going to college. I wasn't really focused on college. I was at Southern, but I wasn't really attending classes. And so I, I, I dropped out of Southern and I got a job serving in a restaurant and I moved in with my in-laws because you know, that's always a good idea. <laughs> the storm kept raging. <laughs> I didn't want to go home. I wanted to keep staying out with my friends. And, you know, I, ha- I was still so very immature and I was still very broken and I was still very sick. And things would get problematic for a while. And my wife would give me some ultimatums, which I deserved. And she'd say, look. And so I would quit for a while or things would become unmanageable and I'd quit doing this or I'd stop doing that or I'd quit for a while. But I always seemed to drift back. To the, to the drugs. I drifted back to the darkness. I drifted back to the storm. And it got, it got worse and worse and, and worse. And then I would think, you know what, I'll just quit the illegal stuff. But your body doesn't know the difference between drugs prescribed by a doctor or a dealer. And let me tell you, the prescription opioids got me far worse than the street opioids. Because I could justify it. And in recovery, we say justify is to just a lie. It's to lie to yourself. And so I started lying to myself and justifying it. And, 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 and so I, I, I got to, and the thing with addiction, your, your tolerance raises. And so I kept having to get more and more just to, you know, make it to that high. And I'd go from doctor to doctor to doctor. And it got to the point where I had to go to like multiple hospitals, dentists, doctors, just to get enough drugs to make it through a day. You see, in the beginning, you use the drugs, but in the end, the drugs use you. And really, that's all of sin. In the beginning, you use the sin, but in the end, the sin uses you. In the beginning, you use the affair, but in the, in the end, the affair uses you. In the beginning, you went to the website and, and you know, you, you use that website, but, but in the end, the website uses you. And the storm continues raging. And it got to this point where it was not sustainable to continue the way that I was going. And so I started thinking this stinking thinking, you know, you're not thinking straight. And I thought, hey, you know what? I've, I've heard enough doctors calling prescriptions. You know what? I, I'll, I, you know, I'll do this. I'll start calling in my own prescriptions and I'll impersonate a doctor. And that's what I started doing. And what's really messed up and, and, and unfortunate is it worked for a while. But the thing is, our sins always eventually find us out. It always eventually catches up with you. Whatever that is, it catches up with you. And that's why, as Dr. Shields shared, you know, if if we don't get control of it, it will get control of us. And it will take you to places that you never thought you would ever end up. And so I was calling in those prescriptions, and uh, before long... 
I got arrested. I'll never forget the first time I got arrested. It was at a Kmart. Remember Kmart? You know, Kmart. Uh, if you don't know Kmart, you're not missing much. <laughs> yeah, Kmart. And I was coming out of Kmart, and, and, and three police cars were there. And I, I, I immediately knew. You see, the storm continued raging. And I thought my life was over. And I thought, oh, I'm done for. How could I ever end up in this place? Because, you see, I thought I was above the rules. I thought that, you know what, I'm, I, I, I don't fit the profile of, the, of people that get arrested. I shouldn't get arrested. I shouldn't end up like this. But then in, in addiction, you find out that, that below the surface, everybody is absolutely the same. And, and one of the things that I find liberating about my addiction is I know that I am no better than anyone else. And I know that I, there is no bottom that I am exempt from hitting if I do not surrender to Jesus on a daily basis. And so they took me down to Nashville. They, they booked me. And you would have thought that would have been enough to get my attention, but it wasn't. I went right back to doing the same thing I did. And suffice it to say, that for the next two years, I was in and out of jails. I was in and out of treatment centers. And I was just completely tore up from the floor up. And I finally reached bottom in Christmas Eve. I hit bottom. I had just been kicked out of a halfway house. Uh, my wife had kicked me out of the house and she had good reason to. I was living out of my car, which soon would be taken because I had pawned the title. I had multiple felony charges for prescription fraud. I was wanted by the police in multiple states. In fact, at the time, they were looking for me, trying to get me to turn myself in. Society was done with me. My family was done with me. My friends were done with me. I was done with me, but hallelujah, God wasn't done with me. And we serve a God that is so amazing that he pursues us. He, he never gives up on us. And, and that's the thing. I mean, every time I throw in, try to throw in the towel, God throws it back at me. And that's the kind of God we serve. And so, you know, I thought, but, but I was still very helpless. I had abandoned all hope of being saved. But I thought, you know what, the police are looking for me. Why not go to treatment? And so I went to treatment and I came way out in this direction. I found a treatment as far away from the police in Nashville as I could get. And I found a treatment center in, in Gooding, Idaho, middle of nowhere, Idaho. And I get there to treatment. And I'll never forget that first night. It was a lot like all the other nights in treatment that I had gone through before. The withdrawals started kicking in. And and, and, I, and I felt so completely helpless and hopeless. I was underweight. I was malnourished. I hadn't showered in weeks. And I felt completely helpless and hopeless. And I'll never forget it as that depression and that darkness started closing in, the devil started whispering lies because that's what he does. He is the, you know, Satan, it's, it's, a, it's this phrase, it means, it's not like his formal name, it's a word that means accuser. Because that's what he does. He is the accuser. That's what he does. And so when, when you are down, the devil is always accusing you. And so he crawled up in my head. He says, Richie, you're never going to get clean. You've done this before. It didn't work. You, you, you know, you're, you're always going to be a drug addict. You might as well go out, get high one last time. And you know, and I, I agreed with him. 
And so I, I started heading towards the door. And now this was, this was New Year's Eve. This was like five below zero. And it was in the middle of nowhere. But the devil had convinced me, my disease had convinced me that I could leave the treatment center, go use, and then sneak back into the treatment center. This is the insanity of addiction. And so as I was heading for the door, getting ready to leave for one more time, one more high, and then I wanted to die. I was just going to use enough. I tried to kill myself before. But every time I tried to throw in the towel, God threw it back. And I'll never forget as I was walking out the door of the treatment center, God spoke to my heart. He said, Richie, if you go out that door, you're going to die. But if you surrender to me, not, on, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to turn you into an agent of salvation. And for the first time in a very long time, I got down on my knees and I received God back into my heart. He never went anywhere. It was me who, who, who thought he was far away, but, but he had never went any far. It was like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, they think God is furthest from them, but, but then he walks up right next to them. And when I was in those, those alleys in the gutter, man, and when I was in that, that, those broken places in those crack houses and the shoot-up galleries, when I was in those places, Jesus was there with me. And I'll never forget it. Listen, my favorite verse in the Bible, the light shined in my darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Just like Paul said to the crew in the storm, when they were hopeless, when they had given up all hope of being saved, what did he say? But I, now I urge to you, keep up your courage. I'm talking to some people here tonight. Keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Basically, you're not going down in this battle, Paul, because I've got bigger battles for you to face. Listen to me, friends. You're not going down in this battle because God's got bigger battles for you to fight. You see, every storm is just getting you ready for the next bigger storm that's coming your way. Because the storm continues raging. Man, my storm didn't stop that night in the treatment center. In fact, in some ways, it had just begun. The, the storm continues raging. But the difference was this time I knew I wasn't alone. This time I wasn't fighting in my power, but in his power. And again, as, as, as our speaker brought out so well, is, is unless we fight in his power, we are not powerful enough. We're not strong enough. You don't preach well enough. I mean, we can't, we can't preach our way out of this thing. We can't work our way out of this thing. We have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. My storm didn't stop that night. They continued raging, but God was with me. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. You would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Paul's human, so he says, I told you so. <laughs> you know, as parents,
parents, that's our, I think our favorite sentence, right? And, and it's not always necessary, and sometimes it can be done in the wrong way. But the reason why we sometimes say, I told you so, is because we want to make sure our kids understand that, that, that we didn't just say this because we want to ruin your life. We actually said this because we wanted to save you this damage and loss. Because you see, we've been through that storm. We know what that storm feels like. We know what it tastes like. We got the t-shirt of the storm. And we want to spare you some of this damage and loss. But you see, friends, listening to God does not guarantee smooth sailing, but it does guarantee a whole lot less damage and loss. See, and, and another point is that too often we think our storms mean we did something wrong. But friends, Paul was in a storm, and, and he was in a storm for doing the right thing. Don't think that because you're going through this trial, that it's because you did something wrong. It might be because you did something right. And this is why Paul doesn't waste time asking God, why me? You know, I'd always, I, sometimes whenever I would say that, I would regret it. When I'd say that to my sponsor in recovery, I'd say, why me? You know, he'd always look at me and say, well, Richie, why not you? What makes you so special? Why not you? He doesn't waste time saying, why me? He doesn't ask God for a reason he's in the storm. Because for one, reasons don't help. Okay, and sometimes as church members, we think we need to tell people why they're in a storm. People don't need a reason why they're hurting. They just need someone by their side. And sometimes we think when someone loses a family member, we think we need to give them a theological basis for their hope. They don't need that right then. They don't need uh, the doctrine of the state of the dead in that moment. They need to be comforted. They need your presence. They need you to just be there. In fact, less is more. Don't say anything. So reasons don't help people. And secondly, storms sometimes just happen. Sometimes like Paul, we're in a storm because of someone else's dumb decision. <laughs> Anyone here ever been in a storm because of someone else's dumb decision? Yes. But what is amazing about our God and this story is it reminds us that God can use anything, even other people's dumb decisions, in order to get us to our destination. Amen. That, that verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that happens is good, and this doesn't say that everything that happens is from God. It says that God can use everything, even bad things, in order to get you into to your, your destiny. You notice, I noticed something that whenever the Bible, throughout the Bible, whenever people are wanting a reason for why they're going through a difficult time or a storm, whenever they're going to a reason, God almost never gives them a reason. And that's because, again, reasons don't help. Instead, he gives them something better. He'll give them a revelation of himself. So God did not give Stephen a reason why he had to be the first Christian martyr, but he gave him something better, a revelation. A revelation which reminded him that even when the whole world is, is condemning you, who cares if I'm vindicating you? 
God does not give Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a reason that they got to get thrown into the furnace, but he gave them something better, a revelation. He didn't give Job a reason. He gave him something better, a revelation. More than anything what John needed in his storm on Patmos wasn't a reason. He knows why. So God gives them something better, a revelation. Right after talking about the tribulation, right after talking about pain, for the account of the word of God, he hears a voice behind him. Uh, the Holy Spirit tells, as, as, as John is seeing this, as he's experiencing this vision, this, this, it sounds like a trumpet because you see he recognized that voice and when he turns he sees seven golden lampstands which represent the church and right smack dab in the middle of the church, in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the storm which the church often is, he sees Jesus. Jesus was with John on his Patmos, and you need to know Jesus is with you on your Patmos. I don't need to know the reason the storm keeps raging. I just need to know that Jesus is by my side. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. See, this is why sometimes God lets the storm happen, because he wants to give you a better, clear revelation of himself. This is why sometimes God's got to let you run aground and maroon. Because until you hit rock bottom, you will never dis discover that Christ is the rock at the bottom. Until you reach the end of your rope, you will never reach out and take the hand of God. And so sometimes God's got to allow your ship to get wrecked. Because until you do, you're going to keep relying on your own power, your own morality, your own good works. Oh, I'm such a good little person here. And you're never going to be able to be used like God wants to use you. And so he lets us run aground. According to Acts 27, 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. People cared more about what the professional said than what Paul said. I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow, but I believe in our professionals. I appreciate our professionals in the house tonight. But listen to me. Professionals can only treat the symptoms. My God can actually solve the problem. Amen. So see the professionals. Do, please. Um, and and some, need, some of us need to see them sooner than others. But, but, but also go straight to the source of strength, Jesus Christ. See, for too long I gave more attention to what everyone else thought. But what someone else thinks can't save you. Only what God thinks can save you. Behold, God has granted you all those who say with you, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. Man, I don't care how rough the storm gets or how dark it gets. If God said it, you can believe it. If Jesus said, behold, I come quickly, then you can have faith. It's going to happen exactly as he told you. If he said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you, you got to have faith and believe that it will happen just as he told you. If he said, you know, raise up your child in the way that they should go, then you got to believe that maybe they're going to get off track like this rascal, but God's going to eventually get a hold of them. I have faith. It's going to happen just as he told me. According to Acts 27, 22, the crew would survive the storm, but they lost, lost their stuff. I survived the storm of opioid addiction, but I lost a lot of stuff. 
But I'm, again, today I count that as a blessing because now stuff does not, I'm not handcuffed to stuff. I've lost it all before and I've gotten it all back. I can lose it again and I can get it back if God swore to so choose. I survived the storm of opioid addiction, but I lost stuff and I don't want to downplay what I lost. I lost years in my, in my family. I lost years to my life. I lost a lot. I've got scars that I will carry with me forever. I lost some stuff. Man, when I came into recovery, I was a shell of a person. I was underweight. I was jobless. My marriage was hanging by a thread. But you know what? It got to the point where I was just grateful to be alive. You see, friends, today we get so tore up over the dumbest stuff. We need to just be praising God. I'm alive. Because there's a whole lot of people in the world today that, that wish they had that problem. There's always someone who has a much worse storm than you have. In this life, you're going to lose some stuff. You name it, you can lose it. You can lose homes, wealth, health. You can lose your hair. You can lose serenity, peace. You can, you name it, we can lose it. Popularity, position. Don't wrap your identity in that stuff because you can lose it in a second. And that don't amount to a hill of beans. That ain't going to make you happy. There's only one thing that can ever give you joy. You can lose everything, even people. You know, people will run up to me and they'll say, well, man, you know, hey, praise the Lord. You're, you know, or, or, or they went through, an, uh, uh, they lived with an addict. They were married to an addict. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, well, man, Richie, Pastor, you know, I, I couldn't stay married to them because it was just, it was not a healthy place to be. And I say, you know what? Absolutely not. I want to be clear, in no way am I suggesting that somehow my, I, I worked harder on my, our relationship than you did. In recovery, we have a saying, because some things just cannot be explained, you know, the, the whole reason thing. We, we would say, but, by, but, but for the grace of God, there go I. It is but by sheer grace that, and yes, fortunately, I was willing to surrender and get help at just the right time. But had it not gotten help then, we, we wouldn't be together today. So I don't want to, in any way, most marriages end in divorce when addiction's involved. And, and there's a reason for that, because they're very toxic, manipulative, abusive situations. You name it, we can lose it. We can even lose people. We can lose spouses. And that's why one of the dumbest sayings the world's ever come up with is this idea of, I found my soulmate. There is only one soulmate, and it's Jesus. And I love my wife, and, and no, God gave us a, a partner in ministry and a partner in life, and don't, I don't want to downplay that, hallelujah, but the second I go to my spouse for my identity, for my happiness, for my significance, not only am I putting a weight on them that they cannot bear, but I'm going to them for what only God can give. And I can lose them. There is everything you can lose. There is only one thing that you can never lose. You see, friends, that's the thing. There is nothing we can lose in this life that we won't get back when Christ returns. 
but we get it back and it's better. That's why Hebrews 11.35 calls it a better resurrection. You know, you get your body back, but better this time without the arthritis. You get your brains back, but this time better without the, without the Alzheimer's and the dementia and the depression. We get our friends and our family back, but better this time without the depression and the addiction. We get our planet back, but better without the pollution and the moronic politicians. You see, they can take your stuff, but they can't touch your salvation. Not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. I'll never forget, in, in recovery, my sponsor told me to write down a wish list for my first year of being clean. And he says, I promise you, Richie, you are going to completely, you are going to totally just, uh, you know, undervalue and you're going to totally not, you're going you're to shoot so short of what God can do when you let him work in your life. And, and you're going to totally, you know, everybody does it, Richie. It's going to happen. And I said, okay, whatever. But I did. I started writing my list. And my list was this. I just want to be alive in a year. Right? I just wanted, I just didn't want to relapse in a year. I, I just wanted to still be married in a year. I didn't want to be in prison a year from now. I, I wanted to get my license. You know, I wanted to get a job. I wanted to be a father to my kids and a, and a husband to my wife. Well, let me tell you, my sponsor was right because when that year rolled around, I not only had a license, but man, I had a car. I not only had a job, but I was going back to college. Not only was I still married, we were actually healing and, and growing. Not only did I have a relationship with my two kids at the time, we had a third kid on the way. I wasn't just surviving. I was I was thriving. You see, friends, we can start experiencing that better resurrection right now. You don't have to wait until you're dead to experience his resurrection power. You can experience that right now. And I'll never forget when my, when my day in court finally arrived. I'd gone to a lot of hearings. I'd gone to a lot of this stuff. But I finally, judgment day had arrived. I was about six months clean at the time, and I got there in Nashville. I'll never forget standing before the judge, what felt like an eternity. And she finally spoke, and she said, Mr. Halverson, you've got four counts of felony prescription fraud. Each count can have up to a maximum sentence of five years. You're looking at a potential 20-year prison sentence today. And you know what, friends? I, would, I, I didn't want to go to prison. I don't want to be wrong. But, but things, something had changed. You see, I had accepted that, you know what? I might be going to prison. But that was okay because I could handle that storm because I knew I wasn't going into that storm alone. And so she started saying, you know, looking at the fact that I had a job, that, that, that my wife and I were trying to work things out, and, and, and she saw that I, she drug tested me and I was clean, and she saw I was going to meetings and I was working in, on my recovery, and, and she says, what we're going to do, Mr. Halvers, is something we call pretrial diversion. You're going to serve two years of probation, but if you stay clean, you do your community service, you make it to all your probation officer meetings, and you don't get any more charges at the end of the two years, we're going to expunge these felony charges off your record. And she said this, and, and, and for, a, for a pastor's kid and now a pastor, you know, we're always looking at good sermon material and, and good, but she said this, Mr. Halverson, it will be as though you were never charged. From a legal standpoint, you never committed those crimes. Friends, 
That day, I got a tiny taste of justification. Man, I walked out of that court day free person, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. Man, five years later, I finished college with my undergrad. A year after that, I accepted my call into pastoral ministry. Man, this past year, I celebrated 20 years clean. Man, my wife and I celebrated 25 years of marriage. Yes, the storm continues raging, but my Jesus keeps on saving. Storms don't intimidate my Savior. He's a wave walker. He tells the storm to shut up, and the storm listens. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Did you know the name Malta means refuge? This is really cool. God does not prevent the bad stuff from happening, but he always provides a place of refuge. You see, I believe the church is called to be a place of refuge for people who are wrecked by the storms of life. People should not have to worry about the storm out in the world following them into the church. They should not have to worry about the gossip. They should not have to worry about the condemnation out in the world following them in here. I want to know, is your church a safe place for the shipwrecked? And I'm not talking about people who get wrecked like you get wrecked. It's easy to be accepting of people who sin like you do. But are you loving and see this? There's a false idea that by accepting someone who may be actively sinning, that we somehow accept and love their lifestyle. No, but we can still love that person and create an environment where they can find refuge and the Holy Spirit can get a hold of them and transform their life. Is your church a place of refuge? Check it out. The native people showed unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. What Paul says about these natives, people should say about Seventh-day Adventists. They're unusually kind. Now, not just unusual. We got plenty of those. Unusually kind. Not just unusual. According to the story, the natives build a fire to warm the shipwreck. The church should be the warmest place on the planet. But let me tell you, I've been to some cold churches. I've been to churches that were cold to me, and I was the guest speaker. So now you know how cold they are to the, to the guest that comes there, because usually people try to at least kind of help take care of the, the, the guest speaker. Man, I've been to bars and clubs that are more comforting and warm than the church. I've been to my dealer had more care for my health than the church has cared for my health. And then we wonder why evangelism doesn't work. And then we wonder why, you know, we're not getting the results that we want. We are not a place of refuge for the broken people. Malta was a place Paul hadn't planned on. Have you ever been to a place that you didn't plan on? Welcome to Malta. You signed the marriage license. You never planned on signing divorce papers. Welcome to Malta. You know, you always ate right, exercised right, but you got cancer. Welcome to Malta. It's a place that you didn't plan on. People don't plan on their kids becoming addicts. People don't plan on raising their grandkids. They don't plan on losing their job. People don't plan on getting addicted. 
people don't plan on, on the breakdown or the bankruptcy or some of the broken places they end up. Malta is a lonely, cold, unexpected place. The church needs to be a refuge for people going through difficult times that they had not planned on. I recently talked to one of our, one of our colleges, one of, a Christian college that, that recently voted. This is a recent. They recently voted to do away with the rule that, that if a girl gets pregnant, she's automatically expelled from the university. I, I do want to praise the Lord and give some credit to, to one of our universities, Oakwood, which not only can they continue going school there, they provide child care for the moms. That's what it means to be a refuge. The church needs to be a place of refuge. But too often, the storms that followed us to Malta come on to land with us. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fasted on him. I told you, the storm continues raging. Paul's arrested for preaching the gospel. He's shipwrecked because people don't want to listen. He's cold marooned on an unexpected place. And just when he thinks the storm is over, a snake bites him. The storm continues raging. Amos. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion, only to meet a bear. Escaping the bear, he leans his hand against the wall in his house, and he's bitten by a snake. Anyone ever had a day like that? A year like that? See, when you got baptized and you joined the church, you thought the storm was over. But then that snake came out and bit you. You finished college and you got hired and you got your first district and you thought the storm was over, but then that snake came out and bit you. You met your spouse on AdventistSingles.com, but then that snake bit you. You have an elders meeting and, and your elders are like, we got your back with this pastor. We're going to support you, pastor. And then that agenda item comes up on the board agenda and not one of those elders have your back. And that snake came out and bit you. David talks about them. They make their tongues sharp as serpents and under their lips is the venom of asps. Anyone here ever been bit by an ass? Bit by an asp. Anyone here ever done ministry with an asp? Anybody here ever worked for an asp? And notice the snake didn't just strike them. The Bible said it fastened onto them. Maybe something is fastened on you tonight. Notice it says that when the people saw that the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Isn't this just like people? Not us. We always got to think the worst of people. Oh, well, he probably had an affair. Oh, she probably this. You know, we're just the same. And notice not a single one of them helped him with the snake problem. They just talked about him. You see, friends, I wish that I could have, that, that, and I love my church, and I've been to some beautiful, great, godly churches. I'm not, just, I'm not just tearing the church down, but until we get honest about the condition of the church, we're not going to finish the work. And I wish I could say the church was my first stop on the block when it came to recovery, but it wasn't. I knew I could not go there and be as honest as I needed to be in order to get clean and stay clean, because I know 
because I grew up in it. It was 12-step recovery. It was a better Malta to me than my own church. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Cowards love to watch courageous people fall. Skeptics love to criticize the evangelism that they themselves are not doing. Oh, evangelism doesn't work. Oh, yeah, how much have you done? Oh, well, none. Well, why don't you do some and then come back to me? Like Dwight L. Moody said, I like my way of doing evangelism better than your way of not doing it. Look, they were waiting for him to swell up suddenly and fall down dead. But when they waited a long time, they saw no more misfortune came to him. They changed, check this out, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. This is really cool. How do you respond to the snake bites of life? How do you respond when someone hurts you? How do you react when things don't go your way? When the meeting was the flop, when the evangelistic series tanked, when the ministry failed, what do you do? Do you, what, what did Paul do? Well, he didn't give up. He didn't say, oh, well, I tried it once and it failed. He didn't say, well, we never do it that way here. He didn't, you know, get on a pity pot and complain about it. No. What did he do? The Bible says that he shook it off. Here's how you handle your storms and the snake bites of life. You got to shake it. I get it. Someone hurt you. You shake it off. I get it. That, that evangelistic effort didn't work. Shake it off. The board voted your idea down. Shake it off. I get it. You were mistreated. You got to shake it off. You've, you know, someone disappointed you. I'm sure some, I'm sure you have disappointed a few too. Shake it off. But the problem is, is sometimes like Paul's viper, that thing really fastens onto our heart. And you got to keep shaking it until it's no longer affecting your worship. And you got to shake it until it's no longer hurting your relationships. And you got to shake it so you're not feeling bitterness. Well, why did they get this position? And I didn't get this position. Well, why did they get this church? And I didn't get this church. Well, friends, let me tell you, God did not call you to that place. And you can accept that or you can get bitter and be miserable the rest of your life. you got to shake that snake out of your life. Yeah. As Jerry Lewis famously said, there should be a whole lot of shaking going on. The church needs to be a safe place for people to shake off their snakes. In Revelation, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came out to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. We're called to be a place of refuge, swallowing up storms, helping people shake their snakes. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And here's the thing, when people saw Paul shake the snake off, the Bible says that they changed their mind. You see, how we respond to our storms and our snake bites can change somebody's mind about God. So maybe someone thought God was condemning, but now that they've come to your church, now they believe he's a God of love. Maybe someone was getting ready to give up on their marriage, but then they saw your marriage and they said, you know what, I'm going to give it another try. Maybe someone was getting ready to give up on evangelism, but your evangelism is so filled with the gospel. It's so covered up and smothered up with Jesus Christ. There is so much blood of Jesus in your sermons that wherever you cut them, the sermon bleeds. And now they're like, well, hey, I think I'm going to give evangelism another try. I want to live the kind of life people change their minds about their situation. I can make it. Man, if Richie, if God got a hold of Richie, he can get a hold of me. Man, as I was reading this story in Acts, it struck me that this crew was thinking, 
You know they were thinking, thank goodness Paul was on board. Man, I want people to think the same thing about Seventh-day Adventist. I'm going to invite the praise team to come out. You know, as I was reading this story, if you didn't know that, prison, that Paul was a prisoner, you would never guess that he was a prisoner. Why? Because he doesn't act like a prisoner. He's not a victim of his circumstances. He doesn't let the storm invade his spirit. He doesn't let the devil dictate his destiny. What do you do when the storm keeps raging and the snakes keep biting? Do you give up on ministry? Friends, this church should be packed. This place should be packed. You know, in recovery, we learn something. Recovery is not for the people who needed it. If it was for people who needed it, it'd be packed. It's for the willing. You see, the miracle is for the willing. We all need the miracle, but the miracle is for the willing. If you want to experience the miracle of what it means to step out in faith and go to Rome like Paul and be on mission for God, to live a life of mission, let me tell you, you will live a life. Yes, there's storms are going to keep raging, but it'll be like something you've never experienced before. When the storm keeps raging, do you act like prisoner or do you act like Paul? The storm was better because Paul was on board. The world should be better because we're in it. Check this now out. Now in the neighborhood of that place where lands were belonging to the chief man, the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. You guys can start playing nicely in the background. Notice. Acts 28.8. It happened that the father of... Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him healed him. So I want you to think about this. Had Paul never been arrested, had he never gone through a storm, had he never been shipwrecked, had he never been marooned on Malta, had the snake never bit him, he never would have had this opportunity to serve. Do you hear what I'm saying? The same hand that the snake bit Paul is now using to bless. The hand that was bit by a snake that which should have killed Paul, Paul's now using to give life to someone who's about to die. The same hand that had snake hanging from it now has Holy Spirit power flowing from it. You may not know why you had to go through that storm, but one day I believe God's going to use it to transform someone's life. Your storm might be leading someone else to salvation. Have you ever thought about that? I'll never forget when I, I signed the contract to Pacific Press to publish my book. I hesitated for a minute because I was pastoring at the time. And to be honest, I started thinking, you know what? I don't know if I want everybody to know all my business. As I grew up in the church, I, you know, hey, I know the way I am. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, Richie. First of all, it's not about you. And second, Richie, let me take what the snake bit and use it to bless. Let me take what the devil meant for evil and turn it into something good, the saving of many lives. You see, friends, I believe God wants to take the pain that you've experienced from the past few years and, and he wants to turn it into a source of healing for the next few years. 
the place the enemy bit you, God is going to use to not only save you, but to save others through you. The very thing the enemy tried to kill you with, God is going to use to reach people with. I want to use the hand that you used to sin with to help somebody with. The enemy will never stop attacking you, but listen to me. He can't beat you because you see, he's already beat. How could Paul continue going through a storm after storm? Well, because Jesus had already gone through the ultimate storm. How could he survive his snake bite? Because Jesus had already survived the ultimate snake bite. According to verse 7, it says three days from the snake bite to when this man was healed. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says that Luke parallels Acts 27 with the climax of his gospel, the trial and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three days after Paul is bit by a snake, Paul brings healing to an entire town. In Genesis 3.15, God tells the devil that the woman's offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Don't you see the heel the enemy struck is the same heel that crushes the enemy's head. On Calvary, the enemy struck Jesus' heel with all the venom he had, all the venom of every sin you've ever committed, of the entire sin of the world. Christ became sin for us. But hallelujah, three days later, Jesus steps out of the grave and he crushes the serpent's head. And now healing, salvation, resurrection comes from nail-pierced hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Tonight we're going to have a couple of individuals here and as we sing this song, I want to invite any of you who the Holy Spirit impresses to come forward and we're going to have a special anointing service. Anointing's not just for healing, although it is for that. But it's also, people were anointed as they were going into ministry, as they were going to be prophets, as they were going to be kings. You're going into a storm and you need Holy Spirit power if you're going to make it through this storm. Maybe you've got a snake hanging from your heart tonight and you want to leave. You want to crush the serpent's head in the power of Jesus, then come forward as we, as, as we have this anointing. This is between you and God. We're just going to pray over you and anoint you with oil for the Spirit to lead you as you head into your storm. Friends, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Like Paul and the crew in the storm, on Easter Sunday, the disciples are alone, scared, and they're hiding in the dark. But just like Paul, just when the storm gets too rough, God shows up. And you know, one day soon, friends, there's going to be a storm, Daniel said, such as there's never been until this time. But at that time, our prince will stand up and deliver his people. Do you believe that tonight? And check it out, just like Paul shook the snake off into a fire. According to Revelation 20.10, Jesus is going to do the same thing with that dragon of old, the serpent, the devil. The light shines in the darkness and cannot overcome it. If you'd like to come up for a special prayer, then come up and we're going to pray over you. There may be multiple people here. So if there's a line, then go to someone else. And we're going to have a short prayer over you. And we're going to anoint you with oil. Because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the storms are going to continue raging. They're going to continue raging. 
And so if you see someone who's anointing, come, come and stand in line in one of those individuals and let's pray over you tonight in the power of the name of Jesus. Let's tell the devil where he belongs. And just in case you didn't know it, the devil belongs under your feet. The devil belongs under your feet. Jesus is the head and we are the body. And if the devil is under Jesus' feet, that means he's under our feet too. Come forward tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the blood of Jesus. We're coming through this storm. Come forward. One of the things we did at the Propel Conference was the practice of reflection. Stop for a moment and think about how this could be applied to your ministry. At the Propel Conference, we even offered some reflection questions for you to consider. What was the big idea for you from Richie's talk? How will you apply this in your ministry context? And when this episode finishes in a bit, I encourage you to pause for five or 10 minutes and just let your mind wander. This reflection time can be really powerful. Okay, that's it for this episode. Special thanks to Richie Halverson for speaking at the Propel Conference this year. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and is produced by the crew at Summer View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of the Propel Podcast. Mm-hmm.